Africa is rapidly adopting the same software and hardware technologies that have transformed the Western world over the last few decades. But access to computers and technology education is still uneven. Where there is access to computers, smartphone adoption often comes before access to laptops or desktops. Nelly Chaboy is the founder of TechLit Africa, an organization that works to connect schools and families in Africa with computers and software. Nelly studied computer science and worked as a software engineer before leaving her career to focus full-time on building a scalable model to take refurbished computers and give them to Africans who can make good use of them. TechLit Africa is also building a software stack to equip schools in Africa without an internet connection with an internal subnet, including Wikipedia and other educational resources, so that people in the school can get an internet-like experience despite a lack of access to the full internet. This is the first episode in, hopefully, what will become a series about emerging markets and their adoption of software and other forms of technology. This episode is focused on Kenya, and we'll do more shows in the future. The second Find Collabs hackathon has started. This is the Find Collabs Open, and it features $2,500 in prizes. We've got prizes for the best podcast project, the best React.js project, the best music project, machine learning project, much more. You can check out those prizes by going to findcollabs.com open. Find Collabs is the company that I'm building around creating projects and collaboration. And with that, let's get to today's show. Nelly Chaboy, thanks for coming on Software Engineering Daily. Oh, this is awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so you are a software engineer, you've studied computer science, and you've started several initiatives around increasing the understanding of computers and computer science in Africa. I want to start with a discussion of your experience growing up in Africa. Describe the use of the internet as you experienced it in your hometown in Africa. I think the internet is we should go back to like the use of a computer, actually, <laughs> because the internet is like it's another level of accessibility, right? So uh, I grew up in Kenya, and I first used a computer when I was eighteen. So I learned, I first used a keyboard when I was eighteen when I was applying to schools here. So that's the first time I also like encountered the internet. I didn't really know much about it. So I think I signed up for an email account, and and, and that was pretty much it. And and then right now when I, when I go back and I I see how how my friends and my families are using it, I realize they're not using it the way they're using it, like the way people use it here. Like in America, there's certain level of curiosity. Like if you wanna let's say know what the moon is made of, you just look it up. If you wanna know like what is the unemployment rate, you just look it up. Like there's that level of curiosity that. And I think that raises from just being able to find answers immediately. Uh, in Kenya, uh, I, I don't see that. So you're curious, but you don't find your answers quickly. And I think that inhibits the level of curiosity that you have. So if you're never ever gonna be as a kid or even as growing up, if you have questions and the way the way you get the answers, if it's limited in the way you're gonna get the answer, then that's gonna be limited in how curious you, you become. Does that make sense? It does. So can you describe in more detail to what degree 
computers are accessible by the average person in Kenya? Like who who has access to a computer and then who has access to computers with internet? So I would say in the series, so in terms of computer access or in terms of internet access, most people are, have access with, on their phones. So you access computer on your phone and you're mostly using this for WhatsApp or, or Twitter. From what I've seen, most people would only use this to go online and it to uh, mostly be, be men. So women are a bit more shy. Maybe there's a lot of, yeah, just women are a bit more shy to go online, but it's mostly, mostly be men. And also you don't have unlimited access. You pay band bandwidth. So let's say you'll be paying a dollar for 50 MB and that's it. So when you have to worry about, when you have to constantly worry about consuming all your data, you end up just using, like, let's say you, the best way to learn is using a video, right? But if you only have 50 MB, then you'll be like, no, I better save these megabytes, this small amount of data for when someone texted me on WhatsApp than streaming a video about like building your own website. And it's even worse. So there's mobile penet uh, penetration. Every, everyone has a mobile phone, but internet is very expensive and you're buying it in, there's no bandwidth. You're buying it in, in sections in small amount of data. On the other hand, in terms of computers, so I come from a small village in Kenya and I didn't grow up with a computer. And even right now going, going there, not so many people have computers. So in terms of growing up with a computer in your house, that's, that's unheard of. You don't, you don't have computer in your house when you, when you grow up. It may be the case in cities like in Nairobi or in Mombasa, but in villages, they're non-existent. And how good of a substitute is a phone with limited data access relative to using a laptop to access the internet in unconstrained uh, data environments? I think... So a phone might be a good uh, substitute if you knew how to use it. Okay, so you're asking if you, you have unlimited data, right? So you're assuming you have unlimited data and you have a phone versus you have a laptop? Yeah. Okay. So so, so I'm, I'm, what I'm saying, what I'm trying, I'm trying to basically contrast my experience of the internet with somebody who has only experienced and is only experiencing internet through the lens of a smartphone with limited data. Yeah. I, I, I think that the issue is not the hardware. I think the problem is not the hardware. I think the issue is the limited bandwidth. As I, as I mentioned before that you can learn anything on the internet. You can watch any YouTube video and learn something that you're very passionate about. And, and just knowing that if I need an answer for this, I can just go online and find it. I can spend hours online and find it. That is lacking in Mogotio or, or in Kenya. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you have a laptop or a phone, but if you don't have access to begin with, then you don't have that habit of just going online and finding your answers. And then if, if that habit is not cultivated, then you end up just like, just, just not knowing that you have the power to learn everything you want, or you have the power to just find your answers, or you have the power to just uh, diagnose simple health issues or simple hygiene issues or understand your civic rights. So I just think it's, it's almost like it's killing curiosity in a way. That's what, I, that's what I'm trying yes. to say here, yeah. Yes. Well, so I went to Shanghai last year, and I, I only, in Shanghai, obviously, like, internet connectivity is everywhere, mm -hmm. but just the shift in not having Google and not having <laughs> Google Maps was so disruptive to my, like, my state of being, my state of... 
uh, internal stability. I bet. Uh, it was a little bit shocking. <laughs> and so I, I, I'm just trying to, to empathize a little bit more or to, or to put myself uh, to gain a better understanding for what's going on there. What about these light experiences? So you have things like Wikipedia light or Facebook light or I think Twitter light. So perhaps you could go to environments like maybe you go to a, a public library where there's like pub, uh, unconstrained bandwidth perhaps and you can download some stuff or maybe you can just use these light experiences and, and they're subsidized by companies or they're free. What's your experience with these light apps? I haven't uh, uh, I haven't heard of them. So I've been here for seven years. So I came here when I was 18. So I may not have these right. experiences. And I came straight from the village. So I wasn't in the city. So I'm only talking from my experience in the village where I grew up. And that's the village, the, the village nearby. So in the village nearby, the village that I grew up, I haven't seen this, um, whatever you're describing, the, the light experience. <laughs> Oh, oh, okay. okay. So since then, you have built a school in Africa, yeah. right? <laughs> Tell me about that experience. Like, where did you build a school? Why did you build a school? What are the parameters for building a school in Africa? Okay. What did you want to accomplish? Okay. Uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of background about my story, and then it's, it's going to see how it fits in, into the whole uh, building a school and the current organization I'm, I'm leading. Okay, please. Okay. So I was born in a small village in Mogotio. I'm the dad born. So I have two elder sister and one younger sister. And growing up, it was abject poverty. We'll go for days without food. The roof will leak during rainy seasons and the roof will be blown away during windy seasons. So it, it was really bad. And I've always been very solutions oriented. So I always look around and I'll be like, well, my situation sucks, but how can I, how can I fix this? How can I make it better? Right. So that as always my approach in life. So, so back then when I was really like just worrying about food as a kid, worrying about raising my younger sister because my mom was uh, trying to raise tuition for my two elder sisters, I knew that my only way out was to study. So I studied really hard. So uh, the way the education system is in Kenya is that uh, from first grade to eighth grade, you, you just take basic five subjects, which is math, English, Kiswahili, which is the national language, biology, science, and Civic, civic studies. So you do that for eight years. And then after this all eight years, you do a placement test for three days. This placement test is more like a filter that depending on what grade you get from these three days of placement test, determine which high school you go to. So I don't agree with that educational model. I think it filters a lot of talent out of it. But that's the educational model I was in. So so I did very well after my my, my primary school. And then I, I was, I got admitted into a high school. So again, so these high schools are boarding school. All, most of the high schools in Kenya are boarding school. And then if you do really well from the placement test, you go to a boarding school that if you go to a national school, they have better resources. They have, uh, you know, computers, uh, the computer labs, they, not computer labs. They have like chemistry labs, biology labs. They have all these resources and it, it puts you in a better position to go to a better university if you go to these better schools. If you don't do so well, then you go to district schools, they may not have the resources. So I did really well and I went to this really nice high school, which was three hours away from home. It was also a bit expensive, which made it really hard for me to raise tuition. And my life in high school too was also terrible because I couldn't afford tuition. I was always sent home to collect uh, tuition. I was missing a lot of classes. So I, I really, I really hated that. All this time I wanted to be a pilot, just the idea of flying out of poverty and <laughs> just being up there. 
So uh, I did really well. So again, after high school, so four years of high school, you do another big cumulative test for one month. And what you get, the grade that you get from that cumulative test, determine which program you go to. So you don't decide if you're going to be a doctor or you're going to be biologist or anything like that. It, it's more about what grade you get from this one month cumulative test. So I did well and I went into aerospace engineering. So if you, let's say if you get a C and you wanted to be a doctor, then there's, there's no way for you to be a doctor. You have to like pay through expensive private colleges or you have to retake the test. There's just a, a there's a lot of issues with all that. I, don't, I really don't agree with all this. That's why I'm trying to fix it. <laughs> um, so I did well and I got admitted into aeronautical engineering. At the same time, I got into another program in Kenya called Zawadi Africa. And they, and, and they prepare you to apply for scholarships in the U.S. So they require you to apply to four or five schools. I applied to 20 because I'm very ambitious. And, and then I got a full scholarship to come into one. So Azawadi Africa is the first time I use a keyboard. And it's the first time I encountered the Internet. I wasn't really sure even what the Internet was then. Wow. Yeah. And then I, I came to the United States. So there was, there was a lot of culture shock. I, I mean, a lot of things were just interesting. Snow was very interesting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of story there. But but what was really interesting to me was how quickly people were typing. You know, like someone will just type so fast. And I was like, oh, man. So if I practice to look at the keyboard, then I'll type just as fast as them. So I just mainly just kept looking at the keyboard, like trying to be better at looking at the keyboard and typing. Three years go by, I'm still not as good. And then during that time, like three years in, I discovered computer science. So in my intro to Java class, I asked this guy, how do you type so well? I've been looking at the keyboard for three years and I still don't know. And then he's like, no, you don't look. You just place your keys a particular way, your hands a particular way, and then you know where the keys are. And that really, that was just painful to me. The fact that just being in that class... They just assume that you knew the basics, that you knew how to turn on a computer, that you knew how to type, that you knew mm. how to go to the terminal, that all those basics were just given, right? Mm. And I look around at the classroom, I felt so insufficient. I felt like I'm constantly playing, playing catch up. And I was like, mm. okay, I'm going to fix this. And so I was like, I'm going to build a school. And this school is going to be a technology school. So this school is going to be looking at just going and helping the people in my village and the people like me and people in rural areas of Africa that are often being ignored and they're being left behind in uh, this uh, fourth revolution of like digital revolution. They're being left behind. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help them. I'm going to give them relevant skills so they can contribute to the global economy. So I, I was like, I'm going to build a school. I didn't have any money. <laughs> so I worked as a janitor on... Uh, Saturdays and wow. Sundays, I could only work for 20 hours a week. So I crammed all uh, those 20 hours during the weekend. I also, after I discovered Intro to Java, I was like, oh man, this is, I mean, Java is not the best language, but <laughs> I was like, oh man, I want to be- It's not bad. <laughs> I know. It's but not I'm too just... bad. Hey, I've done, I've done a lot of Java. <laughs> I know, but I'm saying I'm coming from chemistry here, right? I didn't I, I did <laughs> Fair not, enough. I did not like being in a chemistry lab. So being in a computer science, though it took me like a whole class to see Hello World, I was like, oh, man, I, I really want to be a computer okay, scientist. So, so side note, <laughs> side note, as you're starting to think about education, what's the best programming language to start with? I, I want to say Ruby. 
Uh, oh, yeah. No, no. Ruby for back end, and I want to say JavaScript for front end. Like with JavaScript, you can actually just see, you can just see the result immediately. Totally. And I want to optimize for that. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Okay. C- continue. I, I mean, I agree with you basically, and I mean, I think I think Rails, Rails is just like the easiest onboarding for like seeing your magical things uh, appear on the web. Right. Right. Yeah, so uh, I was in this class, and and then I was like, I'm gonna build a school. So I I took um, I was I worked as a janitor, and I needed uh, I think I I underestimated how much I needed. So <laughs> I said I needed five grand to build this school. So I I saved a lot, and then I just kept talking to people. I'd be like, Hey, I'm building a school in in Kenya. This is the mission, and they'll just be donating. So that was really exciting to get that support. So I got the school started. And then, uh, so since people were interested in donating, so I was going to build like a small shack just made of like really cheap materials. But then since, since people were showing, <laughs> since people were showing interest, I was like, okay, I'm going to build a better school. So I set out to build a better school and then the funds stopped coming. So I needed, <laughs> I needed to get more money somehow. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, okay, so, so quick opportunity for the plug and we'll hopefully do more <laughs> plugs. How can people give you money? Oh, we we have a a website techletafrica.org. So you can you can Tech go to the website techletafrica t e c h l i t africa dot com. Yes, yes, or dot org okay. too. We have both uh, both domains. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So I built the school, and then the school on its launch. So another thing I'm really big of I'm really big of identifying, looking at people around around me finding their best talent and then like their best skills and emphasizing that in them i love so, it yeah so my first person that i found by the I- way i just want to emphasize <laughs> that is not that is not a, a common way of looking at talent i believe i mean i completely agree with that philosophy and to me this is something to, that seems completely crazy about the world to me is that basically as an individual in the working world you're oftentimes encouraged like look for a career that matches your skills when in fact you probably should just be looking at what your strengths are amplifying those strengths and then looking at what places in the market begin to collide with those strengths that you're amplifying i think that's that's, it it might be a subtle difference for some people but i think (laughs) it's a really 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 important difference and as a teacher or a mentor or a aggregator of talent or a manager or a ceo or whatever you describe yourself as uh, it's it's heartening to know that that's your philosophy is to find people's strengths, amplify them, and assign them to roles that fit those strengths. Yeah, I mean, in, in fairness, my my life purpose is to obsolete poverty. So I know that I cannot obsolete poverty by giving money, just giving money all over the place. So I need to empower them to be able to be self sustaining on their own, and and that's why right now fostering technology and making. Uh, these individuals that are being left out in this uh, digital revolution, technologically retreat and putting them in a position where they can, first of all, identify if any of the like tech jobs are good for them or if they can solve problems in the society just by having technology. Because the unemployment rate in Kenya is 40%. That Like 40%. In the depression, in the Great Depression, the unemployment rate was just barely 20%. <laughs> So you can imagine just how, how bad it is. But when you are in the ground, when you see the, the, the economy there, everyone is just hustling. There's a lot of side hustle. A good example is of, uh, of my sister. So she, she did uh, studies in animal health and she 
she would wake up in the morning, collect all her medicine, put it in a bag and go from door to door and find out if anyone needed help treating their cattle. So either treating their goat or treating their cow or treating any of their livestock. And then so, so I was like, okay, uh, let's, let's open you a, a pharmacy, like a place where you can sell this different medicine. So instead of you just saving a little bit on going and buying this medicine from shop, what if you're the supplier of the medicine? So I, I gave her like only a grand, like $1,000. I gave her a, a grand as initial investment. She opened this um, pharmacy, so where she sells animals. And then she, on the back, so I don't know if you know this, but it takes like 21 days to hatch a chick. So like a, a hen lays on the eggs for 21 days and then it hatches, right? She took a, uh, she formed his own form of incubator. So she somehow like, found the right temperature that it takes to, to hatch an egg. And she was able to hatch all these eggs without having a hand possible. So she's buying these eggs at uh, a penny, uh, not a penny, uh, 10 cents. So she's buying them at a dime, uh, simulating this perfect temperature, hatches it uh, within 21 days. And in three weeks, she's selling these chicks in two, <laughs> with two dollars, <laughs> two dollars. I did not tell her that. I like I was just I was just giving her a position where she can help herself, and she it's was able margins. to. Great margins. <laughs> and, and you see that a lot, even though the unemployment rate is insane. You just see people just like really hustling, really grinding, finding ways to be very right. entrepreneurial. So imagine just adding a little bit of tech on top of that. It's, it's, wow. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> it's an inspiring vision and it's it's a uh, disheartening reality. Yes, 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 it is. I mean, for me, it, it has always... Uh, I started doing this when I was in college. And so I built the school and then I realized that the school is not going to be scalable. So the idea was to build technology schools in different areas in rural Africa. And then I realized that building a school, building a technology school each time, I'll have to fundraise hard each time and then like build the next school, build the next school. So I came up with TechLit Africa, which is technologically literate Africa. And the idea is to just go into existing schools and, and replicate this. So instead, hmm. yeah. So instead of building schools myself, I go into schools, I identify schools that have uh, electricity and ah. have, yeah, and just uh, provide the computers. So I provide the hardware and then I provide the software and my version of the internet <laughs> your version of the internet that's like downloaded wikipedia and stuff right yes yes that's I brilliant I download, it's so brilliant yeah i download wikipedia i download khan academy i download ted talks i download interesting Wiki, i download wikibooks so terabytes and terabytes of content and then i just serve it over nginx and then this some, is brilliant <laughs> someone, i didn't realize this yeah someone just goes to the the school and they like they already like can find answers on Wikipedia. They can just be like, okay, what is the moon made of? And they put, they go yeah. to the IP, they go to the IP address on the browser, just like you would the internet, and you find your answers. So we're already now, cultivating that curiosity. Okay, so now you got me really thinking. Like, <laughs> this is like this is kind of an intranet. Like, it's, a, it's it this could be a this sounds like an entire platform thing. Like, you could you could make an intranet with it's basically like intranets all over again. Um, yes. Like we used to have these things in the '90s where like you had a private internet basically, and like some people thought that's like how the world would evolve. And <laughs> I mean, it could have worked. And and uh, but you could have like a basically like 
a a server that you could just put in a school, for example, and this is like the intranet server, and you could have like messaging, you could have like some kind of social networking thing. Yeah. You know, you could just have everything take place in the school. Yes, pretty much. That's what we did from the get-go. Just like, because the internet is coming, we have all these organizations focusing on getting the internet to Africa. So we're not trying to solve that. But it's more than just access, right? Because right now, someone when someone decides whether to watch a video or just go to WhatsApp, someone will decide to go to WhatsApp, right? So how do you show them how valuable the internet is and how powerful it is? By simulating like things that you would do in the internet, cultivating curiosity, finding answers, doing research, uh, finding your skill sets and, and, you know, emphasizing that. So we're just like trying to create the way like people use the internet here and the way people use the internet to empower themselves. We're trying, to, we're trying to give that so that when the internet gets there, or at least when it, it becomes like a, a crucial decision, like I'd rather watch a video and then how to web, uh, write a website than just keep chatting with my friends on WhatsApp. There's nothing wrong with that, but I'm just saying, right now, if you ask someone, hey, do you wanna watch a video about web programming or do you wanna like stay on WhatsApp? They'll be like, well, on WhatsApp, it only costs me 10 NB, the video will cost me 50 NB. Chatting on my friends is cheaper. Like, how, but how do you switch mm. it the other way? Like, a video is more powerful. It's yes, it's mm. expensive, but it's more powerful. So we want to cultivate that curiosity. And I just think by just providing access or just by just providing hardware, it's not enough. There has to be some kind of just impact, like immediate results, right? Like you build yeah. a website, you see the answer immediately. You ask for questions, you get your answers immediately, and then you keep doing that over and over again. As you find answers, you become more curious. Yeah. I was reading reading your site, and uh, I, I didn't fully understand, grasp what your strategy was uh, mm-hmm. uh, until until just now, uh, but there were some anecdotes that really stood out, like, a, a you know, there was some boy who didn't like going to school and then yeah. he you know he shows up and he plays around with a computer basically <laughs> plays like a single computer game and he's like my mind is being blown <laughs> like now i only want to go to school right yeah 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 i, I mean I, there's a lot of stories of that there's another uh i think she's eight now so she was there when we were setting so i went to kenya I went to Kenya last October with my, my boyfriend, Tyler. Him and I are co-founding this organization. So we went to Kenya and we were setting, we were setting this. So we took 10 computers with us. We prepared an image, elementary OS image, and we installed all this educational software, including typing. We took one week downloading our version of the internet, uh, set up the server when we got to Mogotium. And then we were mostly on the terminal. So there were three parts to this. The kids that were really young were just like using all these games. They were learning these games. And then the the high schoolers in the neighborhood will come and watch the Khan Academy videos. And then the adults will come in the evening and we'll just take them through like a five minutes tutorial on how to build a website with Ruby on Rails. So five minutes already have their website. And then we tell them, hey, if you liked this part, then if you like the terminal, uh, read more about, we just pretty much use the book, uh, learning enough rails to be dangerous. We just like, <laughs> we sure. said, well, well, if you like, if you like the rails tutorial, just read this book, learn enough rails to be dangerous. If you like the terminal part of it, just learn enough terminal to be dangerous. I really like uh, the guy who writes, who writes this tutorial. 
we bought the book just in case he's wondering we didn't we didn't <laughs> pirate it we, we bought it okay <laughs> and so the seven-year-old my niece she just was watching the whole time because she she was supposed to be in the cohort they're just playing games right so like the ip addresses and the music playing was mostly just for the adults so as far as she knows so from seeing all this as far as she knows the only editor there is is the terminal so she'll pull up the terminal and she'll type zawadi prep which is the school Zawadi prep over and over again. So that was our way of typing. And then we were like, no, you don't like type like that. Just open this editor that comes bundled with elementary OS. Mm. And she wouldn't do that because she kept seeing us in the time and she wants to use the terminal. So this seven-year-old is already using the terminal, just typing <laughs> <laughs> Zawadi prep over and over again. Oh. And then my friends came over to the lab and then she was like, hey, do you want to see our content? And then she goes 192.168.0.1 and then she navigates to the, the landing page and she clicks to her favorite videos. Be like, hey, here's our content. So she already knows how IP addresses work and she's only seven, <laughs> you know. And, and then she, she brings all our neighborhood friends. She sits in the middle and then she teaches them how to use the computer, how to play various games. She kept asking us, how do we play this game? And we're like, we don't know. And then she comes back and be like, okay, I found out how to play this game. Let me show you. You know, just they're very curious. They're already very entertained and they really like the whole program. Okay. So I am, I'm convinced and intrigued by your project here. What's your scalability strategy? How do you make this pervade the entirety of Africa? Okay. So uh, right now, actually in my apartment, I have 300 computers that I need to get to either Kenya or Ghana in the next, actually one week. So I quit my job on Monday. So I'm doing this full time now. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. It's kind of scary, but okay. <laughs> so I'm doing this full time. Don't be scared. Hey, you run out of money? You run out of money? I got your back. I'll send you $5,000. Just let me know if you get to zero. I'll send you $5,000. Oh, that's you so know, sweet. Just let me know. Just let me know. I got your back. Okay. Oh, this is awesome. Thank you. Okay. Thing. So yeah, I have- But you won't get You won't get there. You. I, I don't think you'll get there. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to give you some safety net. <laughs> okay, good. Thank you. <laughs> What was I saying? Yeah, so I have these computers in my house, uh, 300 computers. I need to get to Kenya or Ghana. So the, the strategy here now is to, as I said, identify schools. So our goal for this year is to do 10 more schools. So we are going to identify 10 schools. And first of all, we'll take these computers. We take computers in any condition. We don't, we just take them in any condition and then we refurbish them, right? So we're going to take these computers uh, into, we're going to get a warehouse in an African country. And right now we're looking at both Kenya and Ghana. So we're going to get a warehouse. We're going to hire local, local talent. So the whole idea is to make the African operations self-sustaining. So we're going to uh, open a warehouse. We're going, and then we're going to ship all these computers. And then these areas are going to be, we're going to try to get a lot of bandwidth. And then we're going to curate the content there. Uh, we are also going to like refurbish the computers and then uh, equip them with our image our version of a Linux in, uh, distro images and all these games and then go mm -hmm. set up the, the computers. So and then the whole idea too there is that when we set up the computers in the schools, the schools need to open up those labs to the community. It's not only for the schools. The schools during the day can use the labs. We train the teachers on how to use the computers and the programs in this computer to supplement the already teaching so that it's already part of the curriculum. Kids are already learning how to type. Kids are already learning how to, you know, do math on a calculator. 
So we trained the teachers to, to use the labs. And then in the evening, the adults come in and they use, they use the labs mostly to learn web programming or they learn like graphic design or accounting or, or all this. So another big part of this is the content. We in good conscience cannot curate all the content. That is not fair for everyone that we, the two of us can be like, you know, like the people who are deciding on the content. So the content is going to be, we're working on this right now. It's going to be an open source um, site and it's going to be a, a quick. So if you're an expert in, let's say, Ruby on Rails, you're going to write a five minutes tutorial really quickly that open the terminal, Rails knew this and then all that. And then you say that and then and then you add what part of this tutorial did you like? Did you like the terminal? OK. Now read these tutorials about this. Did you like the UI part of it? Then you might like graphic design or being a front-end developer. Did you like the database part of it? Then you might like more about being a back-end. So this tutorial, it's like, because even right now, if you want to pick into programming, there's a lot of resources out there. And most of my friends who have tried, even my friends here, who have tried to go into programming, they just get overwhelmed because they're like, okay, you gotta set up yeah. Git, you gotta find an IDE, okay, you right. gotta, so you never know which tutorial is, is that. And another problem is that once you have passed all that, you forget where you came from. You forget how long it took you to get into, oh, yeah. into programming. Oh yeah. So we're gonna, Definitely. we're gonna find these people already experts and it's gonna be in every single field. It's gonna be in accounting. It's gonna be in graphic design. It's gonna be in, even trading, <laughs> we're going to find people who, I love it. who have already done all this and we're going to encourage them to create, to write a quick tutorial. Like if you are to get someone interested in trading in five minutes, how are you going to just highlight all of this and how are you going to give them more resources to go learn about it? Right. So this is going to be open source. Anyone in the world can use this. Anyone in the world can access this tutorial. The tricky part right now the technical challenge. We want this to be both offline and online, right? So we're trying to find a good way to curate the mm. metadata so that if you're online, you just click a link. If you're offline, this link is going to be pointing to our server so that mm. you have the content in, in our, in our mm. server. Also, in terms, you're asking about scaling. So we, we are going to, we are setting the warehouse in, we're, we're putting it in a way that if we're to drop dead tomorrow, this will still be going on. So we're going to make the African side self-sustaining. And then on the right now we are in America, on the American side, it's going to be getting the computers and getting everyone who's really expert on all these things to create the content. So that's going to be the Ameri American side. Quick question. Are you a nonprofit or a business? Right now we are a nonprofit. Why? Why not just make this a business? <laughs> Okay, uh, we're a nonprofit because I mean, most people have asked me this, and I think that's the reason I didn't get into Y Combinator because I was a nonprofit. But <laughs> anyway, uh, most of the businesses are so because we are, we, we want the hardware, we we want we, we want the hardware. So I think like most businesses would give us hardware if we were we were a nonprofit. If you're for profit, we'll have to make a case for wh why giving us your hardware and we're not gonna give you any money for it is good for you, right? So, so mm. th that is one part. Another part is on the Kenyan, on the African side. If we're going to be importing these computers as a business, so Ghana, Ghana would charge us 30% of, of the value of the computers Ooh. if we were for business. For as I a, see. As a non-business, as a non-profit, then it's, we can bring it for free. Kenya charges 22% 
of its value to get into the country, but you can get a waiver as a nonprofit. Right. So as we are coming into these different countries, because we're trying to form relationship in every African country. So if we're coming in into these countries, we can't if we come in as a for profit, you're going to incur a lot of costs. Right. On that note, I'm very entrepreneurial and I realize that I'm going to be training a lot of people to become very technical. So maybe mm. we might spin up a for profit side that that gives the, these people who have acquired this all these skills like a way to connect them to jobs or a way to like like consult with them and they start their companies or a way to utilize all this network. But right now it's just for the nonprofit. We're really focused on the impact and and this is our version of eradicating poverty. We realize just by giving them technology access and giving them these skills, it's it's one of our most sustainable ways to eradicating poverty. So I, I don't I don't know if you if you've thought about this, but you probably have, but like I think there will be if you, if you scale this thing as a nonprofit, if you basically scale uh influx of of hardware, like like you know, I've got my I used to give away my my computers to Goodwill. Mm-hmm. Uh so like Goodwill is an organization in the United States at least where you can give them anything and they basically, you know, either try to sell it or if they can't sell it then they give they give it to uh they give it to to you know people who who are less fortunate or don't have computers or don't have clothes or whatever. Yes. Uh, they accept almost almost anything. So Goodwill is a great organization. I used to give them my computers, and they would you know refurbish the computers, put a new operating system on them, etc. Give them away to people. And uh, you know if you built kind of that, and then you build some kind of distribution thing for it, and then you start to have some kind of like program where you know you have people that are installing these intranets in schools or installing them in I don't know other organizations libraries or something mm-hmm. i feel like there is just so much opportunity i mean maybe this is just me being like a greedy american capitalist <laughs> thinking like this but it feels like there's so much exhaust opportunity from that nonprofit mm-hmm. that there is a business opportunity like maybe you maybe your intranet thing turns into like some kind of open source tool yes that you know it's like an open source platform for building your intranet yes. or or and there's some onboarding thing to yeah i don't know um yeah well, if you I, just got me thinking yeah if i think of a for-profit part of it it would be like uh giving this uh really highly trained africans like a job opportunity right sure there's so, another one so so connecting them to let's say companies here or companies in in the country Oh, this is one upside thing. A friend of mine has a startup and she was looking for talent. So she was looking for someone. I don't I think to do data scientists or do something, but she couldn't find a Kenyan to do it. So she had to hire a British guy to do it. So that's <laughs> that's that's just, that's just insane. So like if we can also just provide talent to the, the startups in Kenya and also like find a way to connect them to like the demand of talent all over the world. So sure. like building like some kind of a remote consulting or or even a recruiting. Yeah. You've heard of Andela, right? Yes, yes, I have. Yes. Yeah. I can what talk do you think of Andela? You've talked to them? Uh not really. Uh, so oh, really? I, mean, I, I, I should I, yeah, I, I should introduce you, Don. I I've talked to, I've interviewed a, I think one or two people from there. Yeah. But what do you what do you think of them? So I, I don't know them personally, but I, I think it's also like this similar thing is happening here. I think jobs are becoming obsolete quicker and quicker. And and I think that like in terms of playing catch up, in terms of trying to play catch up to all these new jobs, we are, we are forgetting that it's not scalable to play catch up to game. So like right now, let's say being a programmer is the most lucrative thing you can do, right? So, or, or being a machine learning is the most lucrative thing you can do. 
So I think that trying to get everyone interested in machine learning, not everyone is going to be interested in it, but trying to get everyone interested in it and then trying to train them to, uh, to meet the market demand, I, I think that is a, it, it's very exhausting. So a better approach would be how do you treat, how do you teach people to reskill? As jobs are becoming obsolete quicker and quicker, how do you teach them to just be able to retool and reskill to adopt the next job? I, I think like this is very common in, uh, in being a programmer. In being a programmer, you can pick any skill that, in any language because you know how to find your answers. You know how to go to Stack Overflow, how to Google your answers. But I think that's not the case in, in, in other fields. So right now, if I want to be a trader, I have no idea how to do it. I have no idea how to start. But being a programmer and also being an entrepreneur, I know that if I want to be a trader, these are the steps I need to look into. I need to find these tutorials. I need to find this how to start. So I think this skill of this, this habit of trying, like, I don't know. I don't know if it's a skill, but like having this mindset of teaching people how to reskill and how to find their own resources is lacking in schools, is lacking in, in, in various aspects of the industry. Sure. And I think that's what should be emphasized. I think, yes, we should try to meet the current demand of, uh, of software engineering talent or the current demand of machine learning or the current demand of data science. But a better way would be mm. how do you teach them to be able to teach themselves? Right. If, mm. you, if you teach someone... Yeah, but isn't, isn't the best way to learn that to have an experience where you learn something? Like, in my experience, teaching myself uh, programming, mm -hmm. which, you know, I, I didn't entirely do because I, I studied it at a university, but much of the, the way that they teach is so old and, and deprecated and didn't fit my learning attitude that I really did have to do a lot of self-teaching. But it was just like, it took only kind of one self-teaching thing to kind of learn all the others. Like, so isn't the best path to education in that regard to actually learn something directly? Like you learn software engineering directly, like maybe Andela teaches you software engineering. Yes. And by virtue of learning software engineering, you learn that you can actually learn everything else on the internet. Yeah, I, I think software engineering and programming in general already has that. Just by learning programming, you're actually equipped to be to be self-teaching because the job itself is like mm. nobody has all the answers. Yeah, but but I think that it shouldn't be it shouldn't be like an afterthought. So like so like that's maybe maybe like if you were to learn accounting on yeah. the internet you're not necessarily learning everything else. It's not necessarily going to teach you to teach yourself everything else. Yes, yes, yes. I mean it, it happens that learning programming equips you to be like, "Oh yeah, I can just self-teach right. myself," right? Because uh, I see. it's such a vast field, nobody has all the answers. But then if you look into other fields, you can just find all the answers. So, so if you were to teach a class on the internet, like basically or or even have the entire curriculum revolve around using a computer on the internet what would that curriculum look like how would you sequence it i think i, I just give like a like a quick how-to on like let's say I'll, I'll say i'll tell you that hey i have all these resources so I'll tell, this is our server our server has wikipedia this is what wikipedia is we, this mm. is wikibooks uh, this is what is your assignment this time is to find uh, an answer about this question I, I can pose a specific question how about you go find me an answer about this it's okay to wow. ask it's okay to ask everyone it's fine it's okay to collaborate. It's okay to team. But when you do that, make sure you give credit. Make sure you, yeah. So wow, like, that's brilliant. <laughs> that's brilliant. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so what would be your first question? You've got all these resources. 
Is it, or do you have to teach them typing first? Because I mean, typing can be boring. You could have drop off during the typing session. How do you prevent drop off like before ty- before typing? I don't think typing would be the first thing. And even after I knew that I needed to place my fingers a particular way back in junior college, I didn't just go ahead and learn typing. I started learning typing after I realized my first year into the industry, it was really affecting my productivity. Like I could think I knew what to say, but if I had someone pair programming with me or if I had my boss nearby, I couldn't type anything. I was really scared. Wow. I was so, and that, so I think for them to, I think typing would not be like one of the things that you first teaching because the same way is that if you want to get someone into programming, you don't teach them about the history of databases, right? You teach them, oh, look at this cool thing you can build in two minutes. So I don't think typing will be the first thing. I think you, you get them interested in whatever they seem very interested in. And then you'll be like, you know, it really helps if you can type. It really helps you. And this is how you learn to type. And there's so many games that, that makes it easy to type for you. So they'll just, it will just be like, okay, just uh, type JK, JK over and over again. And <laughs> I know, right. I love that game. Yeah, That's my know. favorite game. <laughs> really awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, but going back to that first day in internet class, mm-hmm. if you ask somebody, hey, go find an answer to, I don't know, how is plastic made? If you're in front of a computer and you can't type, what do you do? Like, how do you how do you figure that out? No, I think you can you can type. I mean, the first instinct when you see, a, I think uh, what we have seen, uh, even with the kids, the first thing they, when you see a, a typewriter, you just, you try to locate the letters on the keyboard, right? Is spelling, is spelling a problem? Or no, like no, if no, I enter, no, it's not. spelling's not? No, no, it's okay. I think like when what I mean about learning how to type, I just mean like play, uh, placing your hands in the right place so you can type faster. So, right. the, so the way like like the kids, the way the kids will learn how to like <laughs> will be typing, they'll have these little, little very little fingers and then they'll try to find all the letters on the keyboard because it's not arranged as A B C D, right? So they'll try to find right. the letters. Right, but, right, right. I mean, it affects your productivity if you have to stare at the keyboard for like two minutes to find one letter over and over again. Right. Well, okay. So one interesting problem that I think you have to solve to scale is how do you get people to send you a bunch of computers mm-hmm. and what do you do with that influx of computers? How do you build a standardized process for wiping them and getting them ready for distribution? Uh, so yeah, we'll have we'll have a warehouse in, uh, in in every African country, even a couple in every country, and then we hire we hire local talent. Not not hire local talent. We encourage the students to volunteer because it will be like a way of them to learn pro, uh, learn wiping computers and learn about the mm. just just the hardware. So remember, the unemployment rate is forty percent, right? So we have all these uh, graduates, high school graduates that are just in the area just hanging out so we just invite mm. them hey come learn learn programming hey if you like, really like hardware come wipe wipe this so that's the main reason we're building the warehouse in the african side as opposed to building the warehouses here because we want to train them there we want to make it self-sustaining mm. yeah but if i'm like a person who let's say i run a startup or i run a data center let's say i run a data center mm-hmm. um i've got a bunch of old servers like they're on their last legs or at least they can't run like deep learning workloads anymore. So they're useless to me. I want to give them away. I want the tax write off. Right. I've got a server. How do I get it to your warehouse in Africa in a way that is low friction to me? Oh, yeah. So we have actually have had some volunteers come up and offer to take computers in different locations. We have one in New York. So we'll just allocate like what is the nearest town you can ship to or mm. if the people in your town are willing to come pick it up. So this is just what I've really found interesting with this project is that everyone in their small little way find a way to help. 
So we have taken we have taken this really sad problem and we have broken it down to just a kind of a problem where everyone feels like they can help. So if you donate a mouse or donate a, a keyboard or donate a computer or even if you donate fifty thousand dollars, in in your small way you are already helping obsolete poverty. And you can actually see we already have a live stream on the website. If you donate a computer, you already see that it's already in our system. We'll send you pictures all the time. Like you'll always be involved in this journey of trying to eradicate poverty and trying to make a more literate technologically literate Africa. Yeah. yeah. You know, Uber is looking to improve their public image. What if you asked, you go, you approach Uber, you're like, look, give me your five-star drivers that are trusted. Uh, you know, they've got thousands of rides. Can they just go and pick up computers at these locations, drop them off at this other secure location? And then, I don't know, may, or maybe you get TaskRabbit people, like maybe Ikea, which owns TaskRabbit, maybe they need a tax write-off, like they can donate some work or something. That would be cool. I love that. Yeah, that's I never thought of that. Yeah, I, I'll consider that. <laughs> Thank you. Like, who, how else could you solve this? Because this, to me, seems like a really big supply chain problem. Really? I mean, there are, <laughs> right? Yeah. Isn't it? I don't think so. Actually, like, I got these 300 computers, I don't know, in, in three weeks. And this is just really? this is just Chicago. And I, I think I've gotten them in, in batches of 100. But you, but you must have had to drive around and be like, hey, I'm Nelly. Like, can I take your computer? Uh, no, I just be like, like spamming them on LinkedIn. <laughs> Spamming them on LinkedIn. Yeah, so I mean, that doesn't really scale. Yeah, and yeah, people, people trust you, right? So like if you show up to somebody's office and you're like, hey, can I take your computer with sensitive information? I promise I'm going to wipe it. Promise I'm going to reinstall stuff. Or do people wipe it before they yeah, give they, it to they, you? They wipe it before, beforehand and we... See, are- that's that's the bottleneck. That's what I'm talking about. It's like I've got I've got a, an Apple com- an old Apple computer mm-hmm. that I haven't wiped and I, like, I don't know, I don't want to spend time wiping it, but like I don't trust anybody else <laughs> to wipe it. So I think I can write blogs about wiping a computer. It's only two commands. You just like upload a (laughs) a Linux image and then just say shred this, like point to the drive and then that's it. Special the number of times and then that's it. You just wait uh, like five minutes or like one hour, depending on how how, how many times you want to shred. So by shredding, it's like you are writing, you are writing, you are you're taking the original data and you're writing random bits over it like seven or eight times over and over again. So like, Depending, some companies will do it for like 27 times. Other companies will only do it three times, depending on sensitive information. Yeah. So I know you are an economical person <laughs> yeah. because of your background and your attitudes and so on. The average American tech worker is going to be like, I've got to do two commands to make this thing work for me. <laughs> and then I have to like open my door and hand the computer to somebody else. <laughs> This is just too much for me. So like what I what I'm going to need is I need somebody who's either going to show up at my door and they're going to do the shredding operation in front of me or I'm handing it off to them and I trust them because I trust the organization not to grab my data, not to do any like bad extraction or something. I can trust them to shred it on their premises. I fully believe in your vision. I think everything is going to be perfectly fine. It's all going to go great. I'm just saying in terms of scaling up the computer donation thing, I think this is one bottleneck. Really? I do. I could be wrong. I could be totally wrong. Maybe I'm wrong about the the charitable attitudes of the average American, but Yeah, I think I think like I mean from what we have noticed that okay, so for the the people that donate the computers, the personal donations, they're not worried about their data. But we do actually wipe it. We actually make sure we wipe it and we wipe mm. it by using the shred command. We do it like seven times with the right over and over again. So but another thing that we are optimizing for, we're optimizing for donations from companies. 
So companies, uh, they'll be doing uh, like, most companies will be like, okay, okay. we're doing a Windows 10 upgrade. Yes, 100 computers. Okay. So from companies, and, and then companies, will, they already have staff that already know how to wipe it. So some companies will pay some money for recycling. But then if they give it to a donation to, to an organization, then they get a tax side off. So we are mostly optimizing for companies. But personal donations mm. are welcome. Interesting. Yeah, but it's very interesting that you find the supply chain to be the problem. For me, it's like building building relationships in every African country. That is going to be a challenge because like uh, Africa is so segmented. Each, each country has its own culture, each uh, governing bodies, and you just have some of them don't even speak, like they have a different language. And that will be the challenging part. Right. Well, I mean, I see, I see a lot of different challenges. That's why it's it's actually really <laughs> interesting. Because, like, I, I think also the whole. I mean, you have a really interesting software problem with the whole intranet idea. I mean, I don't know about intranet software. Maybe there's intranet software that already exists that does this. Okay. Or maybe it's just Linux. I don't know. What? How are you? How does your intranet work? Does it? Is it standardized? Like, is it very easy? How long does it take you to set up one of these intranets? I think the the biggest part is actually just the. The data. So downloading these terabytes of data takes a long time. It takes like seven days, depending on the amount of data. But we're just serving it over Nginx. Right? It's just you serve it over Nginx. Nginx already has a, an index page it builds for you. And then you just connect it to a home router. So we already have people donating router as well. So you have one computer that uh, already has the hard drive mounted that has terabytes of data. And then you just serve it over Nginx. And, and then you hook up to the router. And then they just go to that IP. And then that's it. They already have the IP memorized. That's it. You're blowing my mind right now. I really? only know about I only know about clicking on the AWS console, and that is how my computer gets to me. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's sad. The thing is, this is what people had to do in the '90s when yeah. they were setting up their companies in the '90s. Like yeah. you had to actually know how to set up a quote-unquote computer. A lot of people in tech, myself totally included, despite hosting Software Engineering Daily, I have no idea how to set up a computer. <laughs> I think, I, but anyway, if you wanted to know, you'll find out in 10 minutes or in 10 seconds, right? That's what we're trying to teach. Like, you can find the answers mm. if you need to. I know this because I had to do it. It's not because I knew this beforehand. Mm. <laughs> All right, Nelly. Well, we should begin to wrap up. I really enjoyed talking to you, and I look forward to continue to track what you're doing and and I certainly want to know about continued progress and see which uh problems crop up and you know if I can help you solve them I, I would love to. Yeah. You know, it's it's an inspiring project. I think it's really cool and I think it's I think it's going to work or maybe I don't know the space well enough. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll be remiss if I don't say this. So, I got introduced to software engineering daily when I was a business analyst. So, my first job out of college was a business analyst and then my boss introduced me to software engineering because there was this podcast about Ruby that that we would like and then so because at the time i didn't want to be a business i wanted to be a software engineer but i only had one year like degree in software engineer i only had a degree in software engineer that got it within one year so i kept listening software engineering day like every single every single day like <laughs> i just kept i kept listening to it i listened to a lot of them and then and then when i when i'm doing these projects when i'm doing like let's say when i was building the school or when i was doing tech led africa i was like how will Jeff Myerson introduce my project? Like I, 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 I write my pitch in your in your voice. Like okay, how would this sound in SE <laughs> Daily? And now hilarious. to be and now to be in this show is like oh my god, this is awesome. That's hilarious. So can you write my preamble for me for this show? Like it sounds like you can do my job for me. <laughs> 
can list that example. Please do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wh- what? <laughs> anyway, thank you, Jeff. <laughs> of course. It makes me really happy to hear that. And um, I, I mean, you probably sense this in the shows that I do, but like Software Engineering Daily, it's partly like a Trojan horse. Like it's really about like, okay, we've got this cool stuff in the world, <laughs> right? Like why aren't we doing anything? Like, let's do more with it, right? Yeah. Like, I was literally at Amazon. When I was at Amazon, mm-hmm. before I started Software Engineering Daily, I would, like, tell my coworkers, I'm like, did you see the new AWS service? Like, imagine all the things you could do with it. Imagine all the things you could build. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, that's cool. Like, sorry, <laughs> I- I'm just working on, like, the service, you know, that I was assigned. And I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? Why... <laughs> What what world am I living in? You know, and but and that's why I, ha- I had to start this thing. Is is I had to I had to share that. You know, that's the re- that's really what I'm trying to do with Software Engineering Daily is like convince people that holy cow, there is so much opportunity and there is so much need. You yeah. know, you are the embodiment of this. Like you just saw how much need there is for more software, more software knowledge, more understanding of software, how much how much empowerment comes from that that technological understanding. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I agree with you on that. Nelly, thanks for coming on the show. It's been really fun talking to you and we will definitely do another show in the future. I I can't wait to meet you in person at some point. If you're ever in San Francisco, please let me know. I will, I will. Okay, thank you. Wow. 